Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest, and we are back at it again with weekly roundup number three this time. Um, And again, this is our chance to bring you all the news from the past week. Today is February 5th, 2022, and we have a bunch of news to get to, so let's jump right into it. And off the top, we're going to go to the state of Missouri, where Missouri lawmakers are discussing the Crown Act that would ban um, discrimination against black hairstyles. So Missouri lawmakers are holding hearings this week on two bills dubbed the Crown Act. The bills, which are similar to those passed in other states, will protect against discrimination over black hairstyles, such as braids, locks, and cornrows. And uh, somebody was quoted here saying these policies that criminalize natural hair have been used to justify the removal of black children from classrooms and adults from their employment, says one supporter of the bills. And so passing the Crown Act is a really a national effort. And according to reports, 13 states have enacted it and 30 steps, 30 states have pre-filed um, or made clear that they intend to introduce the legislation. So I'm um, aging, you know, when people talk about discrimination, it can come in many forms and sometimes it can be aimed at the hair that grows out of your head. You know, people will disqualify you from school or from graduation. We've seen people not be able to walk across the stage because they didn't like the way that their hair was. Um, but that's just how it grows. And so I'm hoping that, you know, this Crown Act does pass and hopefully you see a nationwide effort to pass this in other states. Yep, Devin, it needs to happen. You know, we had a uh, event with the uh, Black Student Association here on campus at Ball State, and it was called Bonnets and Do-Rags, where we talked about, you know, letting your hair, you know, be in its natural beauty um, and how the world kind of reacts to that. A lot of the times it's more females that kind of have to deal with it, but men definitely deal with it in the workplace with uh, braids and dreadlocks and things like that. So it's great to see that. Hopefully they'll put um, beards on their facial hair. That's one of the things that I had to worry about when I was working in American Fidelity. They didn't really like facial hair, but it's, you know, it's one of those other things about being natural, you know, black, uh, you know, if you're African-American and having to shave all the time, that's not great for your skin. So great to see that more and more states are kind of allowing African-Americans and other minorities to be themselves with their hair. But to take us to another story, um, this one I saw that was really interesting, listeners. It's kind of um, eye-opening to say that um, a lot of businesses and a lot of people were so gung-ho for Black Lives Matter movement and for radical racial change when George Floyd died. But two years after that, there's not a whole lot of progress that we've seen. This story that I found, it says after the death of George Floyd, companies like Target, General Mills, and Best Buy pledged to donate to Black-owned media outlets and organizations to celebrate Black culture and promote racial equity and diversity. Nearly two years later, they have yet to deliver on that commitment. This is a quote from Shillette Brondage. When George Floyd died, companies were falling all over themselves to make declarations about what they were going to do to erase the racial wealth gap, to make things better, to make a difference. It wasn't until black media owners hosted a town hall and publicly chastised the corporations on social media that they began to receive callbacks. She and other media professionals agree that it shouldn't take being criticized to do right by consumers who are responsible for keeping you in business. As far as what she says to Target, General Mills, and Best Buy, it's time to level up and put your money where your news release is. So <laughs> I think that that's very true. It's one of those things to where I, you know, I think I said it a lot of the times on the podcast that is, you know, it's a good time to be black because, you know, people and companies seem to really buy into what, you know, black culture is about, seem to really buy into wanting to help fix this racial, you know, divide, whether it be in wealth, education, housing, policing, whatever the case might be. But like, like this article has said, and like I just said earlier, two years later, after things have died down and come down a little bit, and we're not over the, the hype of all like, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, we don't, we're not seeing those deaths right now. We're just witnessing the, the court cases, which are not as, you know, as emotional. Nobody's really doing anything about what's going on. And it's, I, I agree. It sucks that they have to have a town hall and put them on blast on social media just to get a call back. 
<clears throat> well, I can't say that we told you so, but we kind of were talking about this last summer when everything was happening. Uh, well, not last summer, but the summer of 2020, when we saw what happened to George Floyd and we saw this really a performance art come about where all these companies were putting out these, you know, really, really great statements, but there was no, you know, real tangible efforts behind the scenes to follow through on some of those things. And so like with everything that happens in this, almost everything that happens in this country, when it gets out the news cycle, people forget about it. It's, you know, and that's the thing that I think a lot that disappoints a lot of people when you talk about the current generation that relies so much on social media to get the word out about things, when the, you know, when the news stops covering and when people stop talking about on social media, who's left to really push some of these ideas. And so I'm not surprised that, you know, corporations like Target, General Mills and Best Buy put out a statement. And then, you know, a couple of years later, they ain't thinking about that. They're on to other far other things and that was just a performance art to to look like they cared about what was really happening to black folks around the country. Not saying that they don't care, but it has their actions have not shown that they're interested in enacting any real change in our communities. So you can say they don't care, but their actions say that they don't. And they were only interested in looking as though they they gave a crap about you know, George Floyd or anybody else. So it's disappointing to say the least that it took a town hall, but I'm not surprised because that's, we still have a lot of work to do in this country. And I'm, I don't look to a corporation to fix the problems we have in our community. It's going to come from us on the street or voting or whatever it may be, but you cannot just rely on these performance, these, these gestures, performative gestures by companies who say they have your back when in reality, they're still a company. They're doing that for a reason. Their incentive is, has always been money and revenue. So don't get lured into thinking that Target, General Mills, and Best Buy are here to try to really enact change in the Black community because they've had years to do it and they haven't done it. So I don't know why we thought in 2020 was going to be year, the year it changed. Yeah, I agree that you know no one should be surprised, but I will say that you know if if you are going to make a commitment you know, on social media and press releases and interviews and statements and, 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 you know, their, their commitment was really about hiring executives to be diversity and inclusion executives rather than actually do something about, you know, diversity and inclusion. So, you know, if they are really going to do that commitment, invest in the media outlets, a lot of them, like the banks and stuff, they've been doing what they're supposed to do. But there's a lot of companies like Target and such that aren't doing what they're supposed to do. So, you know, here we are still talking about it, um, hoping that there's going to be some change, but we'll see. You know, hopefully it won't be another two years later. Hopefully not, (laughs) but we'll see. We'll move on um, to our next story here. Uh, where federal investigators have now identified six persons of interest in connection with their investigation into a series of of bomb threats made earlier this week at HBCUs across the the nation. And and this is according to MSNBC. So at least 13 historically black colleges and universities confirmed receiving bomb threats on Tuesday. uh, And this was reported by the GRIO and another six received similar threats on Monday uh, NBC correspondent Robert Allen says they do appear to have a racist motive. Allen emphasized that the persons of interest are not suspects yet. These threats are being investigated as racially or ethnically motivated violent extremism and hate crimes. The FBI said no explosive, though, no explosives have been found at any of the HBCUs that received the threat. So that's at least the good news out of this is at least it does appear to be a false bomb threat, but it just is unsettling and just sort of indicative of the times here where we're just at the very, the first day of black history month, this happens. So it just kind of discourages you and just says that there are still people out there who are just trying to hang on to the good old times, their good old times and not understanding that, you know, black history month exists for a reason. And we are here for a reason. We've contributed to this country so just, you know, it, it's, it's sad to see it, but just glad that no one was actually hurt. Absolutely. I actually was talking to one of our uh, interns, um, Inga Cohen. Uh, she, she's actually at Howard. 
and she was talking to me about the uh, bomb threat because, you know, she said that they canceled classes and went online. So that's how I knew about what was going on from someone who was actually affected by these uh, threats. Um, she talked about how they were really doing it for mental and emotional health because, you know, like, you know, the article said there was no uh, apparent explosive on any campus. But like Devin said, listeners, you know, here we are, Black History Month. Um, and we're having our, you know, colleges and universities uh, targeted. Um, we don't, we're not going to, you know, dive off into it and say it's a part of a larger thing. We don't know that the authorities will let us know as, you know, more and more details come to play. But it is a a, a bad story just because, you know, you, you know, you just think it's come on, it's February, people. It's like. You know, you always say, let the black people have one month. I mean, it's let us have our one month and come on. So, all right, let's go to Nicki Minaj. This was a cool story I saw. Uh, it says the 10 time Grammy nominee says she turned down an offer on Ghana, on Ghana's P power during her pregnancy. Uh, Minaj gave birth to her first son with husband Kenneth Petty on September 30th, 2020. She recently spoke on the Dana Cortez show and disclosed that her birth, that the birth of her baby boy, nicknamed Papa Bear, was, has caused her to rethink including illicit lyrics in her songs. Uh, Nikki said, there was a song my label wanted me to go full out with the single and everything right when I was pregnant and I couldn't bring myself to put out a song about, you know, P and D, you know, hopefully you know what that means and sucking and eating, you know, probably know what that means. Um, so that I couldn't bring myself to put a record out like that while my son was growing in my, inside my body. And, you know, I saw this dev and I was like, this, you know, it could be an interesting little uh, trend to see. Maybe uh, I don't know if it's got to be motherhood that takes uh, artists thinking about what their lyrics, you know, say. I mean, I don't, I know she wasn't really trying to make a statement or anything like this, but I saw that it, I, I thought rather that it was a pretty interesting take that, you know, cause I mean, I've, I've listened to some of her songs before and she, and you know, in her lyrics, she definitely didn't say P and D. Uh, <laughs> uh, she definitely said the, the real words and stuff. Oh, so yeah. I'm, just, <laughs> so I'm just like, you know, if, if I were, you know, going to be a parent, I probably wouldn't want to be talking like this and my kids, you know, eventually they're going to hear my music and they're going to be like, oh, wow. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. Like I said, I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, we need to have more artists take a stand, but um, I definitely think uh, it's important to think what your lyrics are saying, I guess, about you and how you want people to perceive that. Cause obviously Nicki Minaj is just thinking about that now. Well, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, I think it's, I'm, I'm kind of glad to see her, reconsider doing that because you know like you say you just don't want to put that that image out there and and the kids do hear it they listen to it you can say what you want but they do hear the things that's that's being played on the radio they can excerpt it all they want to but they understand the meaning of things like p and d unfortunately because it is so prevalent you can say what you want but i'm glad that nikki you know at least in her mind said you know enough is enough i can't do that you know, maybe her um, having giving birth to her first son sort of changed her perspective on it now that she's having to be a mom and maybe try to shield her son from certain things. And maybe she's seeing that some of the music I've made will seep into and maybe he'll get to hear that. And maybe I don't want him to hear that because it's young years. You know, it's just like it changes your perspective when you're caring for a child. I don't have kids, but I'm just I'm from people talking to people who have kids, it does change your perspective when you are the one who has to filter and protect them from certain things in the world. And maybe, you know, she's now looking at the lyrics and things that she's, you know, saying about and said in songs and like, Whoa, I don't know if I want my son to hear that, you know, it's like, Hey, that's your mom on the radio kind of thing. Um, it changed the perspective. I'm glad that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that. Hopefully it does become a trend. Like you say, where we, we take these things out of our music. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a great story and hopefully it becomes a bigger, you know, thing other than uh, Nicki Minaj doing it. So shout out to her for, for taking that step. Uh, but we'll move on to our next story here. This is another huge story that popped up this week, which is uh, Whoopi Goldberg host, uh, co-host of the show, The View. She has now been suspended for two weeks over comments that she made on Monday about the Holocaust. And so 
While discussing a Tennessee school district banning the graphic novel Moss, Goldberg said, quote, if you're going to do this, then let's be truthful about it because the Holocaust isn't about race, end quote. Goldberg said instead it was about man's inhumanity to man and that both both groups of people were white. The host later apologized and tweeted, quote, as Jonathan Greenblatt of the Anti-Defamation League shared, the Holocaust was about the Nazi systemic annihilation of the Jewish people who they deemed to be an inferior race. I stand corrected in quote. So this is a huge story, Adrian. A lot of people, of course, took offense to what she said by saying it's not about race. I think some people get caught up in thinking that race is just a color of people and not, you know, that there are white people who can be of different races. <laughs> so I think that's what she was going for. Not that she didn't think, you know, that they didn't think they were an inferior race, but that it was a color thing more so. Nevertheless, she's been suspended for two weeks. Might be a little, you know, a little much, but had someone said that slavery wasn't about race, then they probably would have been suspended too for saying something stupid like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it definitely is one of those things you learn in history that, you know, Hitler thought, you know, that the Germans and the Nazis were a superior race. I mean, it was mm-hmm. one of those things that he was really, you know, talking about. And it, I think it is a, uh, a misconception. I don't think it means you're anti-Semitic, but I think it is a misconception with the whole thing of race and being Jewish. Um, mm-hmm. cause I talked to my, um, one of my good Jewish friends about it and it's, you know, it's, it, it is, you know, something that they mark as race. And then when you look at it, you know, it's one of those things to where more broadly you can look at race and ethnicity and how that kind of mixes. But Whoopi, that was, you know, I guess above her pay grade and she didn't want to study that. So, um, <laughs> we're not going to talk about it too much because <laughs> maybe she's listening. Um, we will talk about before we give you this break, we'll talk about Andrea Lyons. She's the founder and CEO of Anna Puki. It's a black woman owned startup offering a line of party supplies for women, excuse me, for children of color. Uh, basically it launched, uh, to cater to young girls, but she actually added a boys line to it this year. Uh, it's called Bo- uh, Black Boys Joy. Like I said, it's a party supply company, uh, inspiring black and, um, black girls and boys. So check it out. Like I said, Anna Puki. Uh, I'm sure Andrea would love you to do that. But viewers, what we're going to do, or rather, excuse me, listeners, what we're going to do, we're going to take our first break. And when we Still come back. a whoopee. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's right. That's what I was, I was trying to just slide that in. I mean, maybe that's a sign that we got to go back to live weekly roundups. I don't know. But anyway, we're going to give you a break, listeners. We got plenty of news. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support, and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our second segment here. Before we get into our regular news, we got a quick update for you. Actually, two here. First off is about Senator Ted Cruz. In an episode of his podcast, Senator Cruz said, the fact that President Biden is willing to make a promise on the outset that it must be a black woman, and we're talking about uh, his um, Supreme Court uh, justice nominee, says, I got to say that's offensive. You know, you know, black women are what, 6% of the U.S. population? He's saying to 94% of Americans, I don't give a damn about you. You are ineligible. Um, some strong words from Senator Cruz. Taking us to Alabama, there's a superintendent over in Alabama, uh, Eric Mackey, who's gotten some crazy, crazy calls. Uh, superintendent Mackey reported, I had two calls in the last week that they're having a Black History Month program and they're considering a Black History Month program, CRT, or critical race theory. Having a Black History program is not CRT. And this is coming out of Eric Mackey's mouth. So, you know, just some quick updates for you listeners. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Devin, that both of these are outrageous. You know, I think <laughs> Black women deserve, you know, to have a seat at the table because we've had a lot of minorities, you know, be on there and haven't had a Black woman on the Supreme Court. And Obviously, Black History Month is not uh, critical race theory. So, I, I, <laughs> as far as I know, 
This is that slippery slope we've been talking about, though. This this is exactly it. As far as I know, a Black History Month program isn't CRT, but who says it isn't? I mean, hey, the way things are going now, if it mentions the word Black, if the word Black is in the title, it could be critical race theory. You never know. That's right, because it's going to make white folks feel ashamed or, or guilty, discomfort or something. I don't know. Blame for the sins of the country. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're not making fun of white people. We're just saying there are people out there who feel as though critical race theory is out there blaming all white people for the sin, this, the original sins of the country. But <clears throat> we'll move on from there. <laughs> we're going to go international for a little bit just to give you another update on what's happening with Ukraine and Russia. So the uh, United States government has accused the Kremlin, which is in Russia, on Thursday of an elaborate plot to fabricate an attack by Ukrainian forces that Russia could use as a pretext to take military action against its neighbor. So Pentagon spokesman John Kirby said the scheme included production of a graphic propaganda video that would show staged explosions and use corpses and actors depicting grieving mourners. And so in recent weeks, the White House has said that U.S. intelligence shows Russia has launched a malign social media disinformation campaign against Ukraine and has dispatched operatives trained in explosives to carry out acts of sabotage against Russia's own proxy forces. And just to give you an idea of what's going on, even more, Russia has amassed more than 100,000 troops near Ukraine's northern and eastern borders, and it's raising concern that Moscow might invade again, as it did in 2014. So a very, very tense situation happening on the other side of the world, and we'll, of course, keep you updated if Russia should invade Ukraine. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a, a story that I think everybody's been watching because uh, Russia um, is kind of unpredictable, unpredictable and a wild card character there. Um, and this is this is to take us to the mass singer. I uh, I haven't I haven't watched this show honestly. Um, um, I think I maybe watched one episode, so I, I I I will admit I don't know much about what's going on with the mass singer. But my boss was telling me about it, so maybe after this article, I'll start watching it. Uh, it says on the latest season of the mass singer, maybe it's most surprising yet, according to recent reports. Judges King Young and Robin Thicke stormed off the stage after Rudy Giuliani was revealed as one of the contestants. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. As you can tell, I did not pre-read this. Um, <laughs> and now I need to go watch this episode. Um, that's right. <laughs> Former New York City mayor is a competitor on the upcoming season of the popular singing competition show. Giuliani was former President Trump's attorney, which is what reportedly sparked the protests uh, from the judges per deadline report. <laughs> when the two judges left, Jenny McCartney and Nicole Switzinger uh, remained on stage and, banter, and bantered with the controversial contestant. While Giuliani's costume and song choice have remained under wraps, the theme for this season is reportedly the good, the bad, and the cuddly. So... Um. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. That's it. That's it. Wow. That's all you can say to that. That's it. I mean, I guess uh, you know when you work for Donald Trump, you know you you pretty much fall from grace. You go from you know, America's yeah. mayor, attorney, and now you're contested on the Mad Singer. I mean, I guess it could Follow- be worse. Following in the footsteps of one Sarah Palin. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll move on from there from a not so from a funny subject to a not so funny subject uh, where the NFL is going to be could be in for a long battle here with one of its former head coaches. Um, Brian Flores, who is the former Miami Dolphins head coach, has now sued the NFL and three teams, the Dolphins, the Broncos and the Giants. And he's alleging discrimination regarding his interview process with Denver and New York. And his firing last month by Miami, he filed this lawsuit on Tuesday, which seeks class action status. And so just this may take a little bit, but Flores is alleging that the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, attempted to incentivize him to tank or purposely lose games, 
shortly after he was hired in 2019. And they, he and Flores actually says that Stephen Ross, the Dolphins owner, offered him $100,000 for every loss that season. Flores also alleged that the Giants interviewed him last month for their head coaching vacancy for no other reason than to comply with the NFL's Rooney rule, which requires teams to interview minority candidates for their open positions. Now, his lawsuit also alleges that he received a series of text messages um, from Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. And in those texts, this is so interesting. Belichick told Flores that he had heard from Buffalo and the New York Giants that you are their guy, end quote. Flores asked Belichick to clarify whether he meant him, as in Brian Flores, or if he meant Brian Dayball, who was also in the running for the Giants' job. Belichick acknowledged his error and informed him that the Giants wanted Dayball. There is currently only one head coach, one black head coach in the NFL, which is Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, this story was a bombshell this week, uh, upstaged Tom Brady's retirement. But, Adrian, this has been a, an ongoing issue in the league for a very long time. And I really think what fired this one off is that he has proof in the text messages from Bill Belichick showing him that the Giants had already kind of chosen their guy, which was Brian Dable, and they hadn't even really had an in-person interview with Flores when he got those text messages. So he was essentially going into a job, a job interview for a position that was pretty much spoken for and filled. He was just, you know, check the box that we interviewed a black, a black candidate. So, you know, it's it's kind of what we thought was going on, but now we actually have proof, you know, of what is actually going on behind the scenes. But he does have a tough road. A lot of the experts say he's got an extremely hard case to prove to say that they aren't hiring him simply because of his skin color. Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's it's hard because there's a bunch of other factors that could go into that. And one article that I was that I was reading around this was talking about the fact that coaches sign an arbitration agreement so that that way, you know, any dispute they have would have to be in arbitration rather than in court. So um, that's a tough one as well. But, you know, this is clearly one of those instances where, you know, racism is I wouldn't say racism, but just trying to fill the status quo with us as a minority group. Um, is just being abused because obviously if they had, you know, kind of hired this person um, and you're still just trying to meet the status quo of just saying I did at least interview somebody black. And there's other, you know, uh, people around sports who are part of this because it's a class action lawsuit. So it's not uh, just uh, Brian Flores. So there's a lot of different accounts around, you know, what's going on around, you know, with, you know, the NFL and different teams. So, um, definitely going to be an interesting story to kind of see how it plays out. Um, and I hope that um, everybody that's a part of this class action lawsuit can, you know, override the, the arbitration agreements and actually, you know, see this out in court. So there's actually public, uh, you know, public proceedings and hearings. I'm hoping so. I'm not hopeful. I mean, I, I don't think it'll happen because the NFL is so powerful. They've already banded together. The Broncos have put out a statement, you know, denying everything that he said. The Giants have put out a statement denying everything. The Dolphins have put out, you know, they've all kind of banded together. They have their statements ready, which we expected. They're not going to just allow this to go on without really coming back pretty hard. So, like I say, it's going to be interesting. He has some very specific incidents that he was referring to, but it's, I don't know how much proof you have in some of those things. So, a lot of this may be a he said, he said, you know, let's 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 fight it out in court kind of thing. Um, I mean, I hope he's successful. I hope, you know, more coaches join into this class action. But I I think as of right now, it's just him. Other coaches have said, yeah, I went through a sham interview but no one has necessarily signed on to the lawsuit just yet. So hopefully he does get some backing. But. That remains to be seen, but he's got his work cut out for him, taking on the NFL for sure. <laughs> no, no, for sure. Um, and maybe the uh, article that I was reading was—I'm um, not sure, but it did mention something about it. But hey, we'll we'll make sure yeah, to yeah, keep yeah. You updated on what's going on with that because maybe there'll be some sort of justice brought. But talking about justice, 
Um, here's something that some people are probably going to call it injustice. Some people might call it a part of the law. I don't know. But uh, it's about a lady named Moses, 44, was convicted in November 2021 for the crime of registering to vote with the felon conviction on her record, Newsweek reports. She became permanently ineligible to vote in Tennessee after pleading guilty in 2015 to two felonies, as well as three misdemeanors, and was placed on probation for four years. Uh, Moses uh, founded Black Lives Matter Memphis as maintained that she believed her voting rights had been restored in 2019. The sentencing judge accused her of deceiving officials, saying you tricked the probation department into giving you documents, saying you were all probation. This is Judge Mark Ward saying uh, uh, Pamela Moses saying after you were rather the judge said after you were convicted of a felony in 2015, you voted six times as a convicted felony. Pamela Moses is reportedly being held in custody and is expected to appeal her sentence. So I, I don't know. Interesting story. I'm not, I don't know what, I guess what happened in 2019 was, is that the first step act that president Trump signed? Was that, you no, know, I'm not, not sure what she was referring to no. when she thought her voting rights was restored in 2019, but maybe she got some letter. Yeah, there was some. There was a mix-up in where there was an error made where the court told, I think the court told the system that her probation had ended, and that wasn't true. That was an error that they had to go back and fix, and so she thought that her probation was over, which meant that she could, you know, go back and and apply to be given um, the ability to vote, but that wasn't true. So when she went to apply to, you know, get her, 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 essentially her rights back to vote, that's when this, all this came about because they're thinking she's trying to deceive the system and say, Hey, my, my rights have been restored when in reality they hadn't. She says she didn't know that and that she just, this was just a, you know, she thought she was, you know, able to do it, but the court said, no, you cannot. And they thought she was deceiving them, which is why they gave her a six year sentence, which seems really heavy handed, but, um, ah, <laughs> hopefully we'll see. She says she'll appeal it, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, that's all you can hope for. Exactly. But we'll move on from that story and go to New York city, who is trying to do what they can to close the gender pay gap and the pay gap between certain races and ethnic groups here in the country. So there's a new pay transparency law that will force New York City companies to share salary ranges and job ads. And so job postings in New York City will soon have to include the salary range as part of a new transparency bill. And it's already kind of getting some headwind here from the business community. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that some business groups are are unhappy with this mandate, no surprise there. And under the New York City human rights law, it will be unlawful for companies to advertise, quote, a job promotion or transfer opportunity without giving the minimum and maximum salary for the role. However, <clears throat> some companies are exempt, including those with fewer than four employees. Partnership for New York City, which is a business group that builds partnerships between business and government, has opposed the law despite their support to try to tackle the gender pay gap. As insiders Jason uh, Logie has reported in December, data shows that pay transparency can help people of color and women achieve pay equity. So uh, this is an interesting story, Adrian. They're trying it out in real life. I think this bill is actually going to go through. So they will have to show the minimum and maximum salary. And for me, when I read it, I was like, yes, I want to see this change happen because, you know, you don't know how how odd it is to apply for a role and not know how much the pay is. You have to wait till you get to the interview, if, if you even get that far, to then be able to ask the question, OK, well, where's the salary at? They ask for your salary expectations in the, in the application, but you don't get anything from the company. So I think that doesn't make much sense. And it does contribute to these, you know, pay gaps. When you talk, especially when you talk about races, because we already know that black people tend to get less calls back and less interviews. And a lot of times that can be just based on your name. Mm-hmm. The way it looks, people make certain inferences about what you look like and what race you are based on just your name. So we know that part of it. So if you don't, if they don't know how much the salary is for a role and they apply, 
and they don't get a call back, then that does contribute to this pay gap. So I'm all for it. If it's, you know, do it for, I'm all for doing things for a few years. If we doesn't, if you don't see a, a, you know, tangible difference, maybe it's not worth it, but I don't see how it could hurt. Yeah. I mean, transparency is, is something that should always be emphasized throughout the workplace. And it's one of those things to where, you know, obviously the company is trying to, you know, hire the best employee, you know, get what they need, make sure that they can, you know, have the, the best person for the job. Well, the, the, the candidate is trying to make sure that the company and this position is the best for them. And, and part of that does involve the salary because, I mean, most of us, you know, work to, you know, have income. I mean, there's very few people I've met who don't care at all how much money they make. I mean, I've, I've I talked to one lady who, you know, she walked in and her husband made $300,000 a year. So she didn't really care anything about her salary, but most people aren't in those situations. So people generally care about their salaries. So it's important to kind of know before you go into it. Otherwise, if it's not high enough, don't waste your time. I mean, it's, it's, it saves, you know, it, to me, it would save the company some time because at least if the person knows that they can't live off of that salary, they need more or whatever the case might be, we're not wasting our time trying to dibble and dabble over like, you know, salary figures or whatever. So I hope that it advances and that we can see that this uh, is something that, you know, uh, continues throughout more places than just New York City. But no, I definitely hope it, it, Gets extended. No, sorry to interrupt you. No, no, I hope it does get extended past, you know, just New York City. I think part of what I, why I think businesses don't like it is because, you know, if you put a minimum and maximum in there, say the person goes through the process and then you offer them somewhere close to the minimum that could turn people off, you know, like if you don't know the salary going in, it's kind of hard to judge whether you've been lowballed if you don't know the salary range, right? But if you give a salary range up front, you go through the process and then they offer you and then you get in there and they, they offer you somewhere close to the minimum, then you you now know the company, what they think of you and whether you think you've been lowballed. So I think there's what with the transparency that there, there does, um, you know, there's some tra- there's some accountability put on the company for what what you're offering and who you're offering it to. So I think that's to me is probably why the business community is not too hot <laughs> On this idea. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I mean, that's a fair point because, I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things to where, you know, you don't want there to be a deal breaker solely based on, you know, a couple thousand dollars or something yeah. like that. You know, I get it. Um, but <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, New, New York City is going to be our, um, our little um, test hub of, you know, what's happening. So we'll, we'll figure that out. But our last story is going to be talking about um, the African diaspora. Uh, Tasted Diaspora is a grassroots initiative that celebrates the cuisines of the African diaspora. For the second year in a row, the Detroit-based collective will sell healthy shoebox lunches during Black History Month to highlight the often overlooked Black contributions to American cuisine. The initiative also supports local chefs and food workers hit hard by the pandemic. Each week during the month of February, a different menu will be prepared by black chefs and restaurant owners around Detroit, Creole, Caribbean, African and American and American Southern cuisine dishes will be sold as a shoebox lunch in recognition of the food boxes that were a necessity for black travelers during the Jim Crow era. Rather than risk a hostile encounter at unwelcoming restaurants, black uh, travelers would pack their lunches in shoeboxes or other containers and bring them on their travels. In addition to selling the shoebox lunches, organizers have teamed up with the Detroit City's Institute to launch a citywide scavenger hunt aimed at sending residents to 35 Black-owned businesses. You'll be able to download that starting on the 11th of this month. So that's really, really cool, Devin, that the city of Detroit's doing this. Uh, I didn't know that about the shoebox lunches or what they were called. I didn't know that about, you know, the Jim Crow era, but that's really nice uh you know, uh, recognition to that. And it's cool getting a scavenger hunt, sending people to black businesses to kind of learn about what's going on in their local community. No, that's an awesome idea. And, and, and shout out to them for choosing, you know, black history month to show people the contributions of our community to American cuisine. It it reminds me of our episode with, uh, I can't remember his name, Michael Twitty about his book. And, um, 
you know, when we talked about the black diet and the different, you know, things that came with that, your, your plate kind of being your flag and very interesting conversation. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. Just wanted to pun, pun that real quick <laughs> before we go into break. Uh, but yeah, we'll go ahead and take our, our break here. And when we come back, we'll get into our quick hits. So stick with us and we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, become a monthly patron. Go to blackagendapod.com and click the donate tab or click donate under the timestamps as you're listening to the podcast. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our quick hits. Even though we've had a lot of laughs throughout the news and we try to you know do that, make the news more engaging, we're getting to our funny stuff here. And to start off, we're going to be going to Illinois, uh, my neighboring state. And I was actually uh, up in Illinois yesterday. Firefighters in Illinois helped deliver a baby in the parking lot of Jimmy John's when the parents were unable to make it to the hospital in time during a snowstorm. The Plainfield Fire Protection District said firefighters were dispatched Wednesday morning on a report of a woman in labor in the business's parking lot. The district said in a Facebook post that a healthy baby girl was born within seven minutes. That's crazy because most, you know, most babies are like hours. I mean, <laughs> this baby came out within seven minutes. Obviously, this baby knew that we were in a snowstorm, so I had to be quick. Um, the uh, police, not police chief, the fire chief said the call actually came in at the parking lot of the Jimmy John's, which is actually kind of crazy because, you know, Jimmy John's freaky fast, you know, they're really, you know, fast service. Mm -hmm. This was a freaky fast birth, obviously. Uh, the mother and the baby were taken to Amida Health St. Joseph Medical Center in Juliet, where a doctor said they are doing well. So like I said, great story that they're doing well. But crazy birth. I mean, <laughs> I mean, born into a snowstorm within seven minutes. I mean, it's you know remarkable. No, that's pretty. That's pretty wild. I was going to say if it was a boy, you got to name it Jimmy or John, <laughs> <laughs> one of the two, I or mean, both. You, you can, you can, there's there's some hi hybrids because I mean I know some girls who are named after Jimmy. I mean there's some Jimmy, yeah, uh, Jemimas or something like that. Or <laughs> I don't know about your mind, but they can figure figure something out, pick something on the menu, and tweak it. You know, but no, that's that's a pretty crazy story there. But we'll move to our next story here, which is also kind of funny. If you know the comedian Michael Rapaport, you know he's known for these these rants that he goes on. And so uh, the comedian was interrupted during one of his signature video rants this week by a snowball to the face. And this was according to a video he posted on Thursday as the 51-year-old entertainer held forth about the recent Whoopi Goldberg Holocaust controversy. So he said, quote, this whole crap with this cancel culture, Mr. Rappaport begins to say that before a snowball comes flying into the frame and the phone falls into the comedian's hands. Um, another voice can be heard saying, shut up, shut the F up. Nobody wants to hear it. You've been talking all effing week. We don't care what you have to say. Just stop talking, end quote. The comedian wrote on Twitter that I, he wrote on Twitter after the fact that, quote, some a-hole threw a snowball at me while I was in the middle of my rant. Does anybody know who this is? I'm very upset about this. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, so, yeah, so he was giving he was he was really going off about Whoopi Goldberg. And then the guy comes up and nails him with the snowball and just really ruined the whole rant. It just, it just didn't have the same energy, <laughs> but I like the last line was, I'm very upset about this. <laughs> like that. Just <laughs> yeah. I had to Google uh, who he was. Cause I couldn't, I don't really remember actors by like their actual name, maybe who mm -hmm. the characters were, but yeah, it's, it's funny to see who he actually is and getting snowballed. I mean, it's, that's cool. I wish I would have known that who the person is. I, I, I'd help him out. But um, thank you to another story. I guess this is also, I mean, our story is all about snow because um, we did have some snow, a big snowstorm. You know, this uh, we had about, I think, 10 inches here in, in where I live. So it's crazy. But uh, this is about, uh, I'm in Chicago. So take you back to Illinois. 
Uh, a footage uh, from WGN's helicopter shows an unidentified 24-year-old man unwittingly walking roughly 500 yards onto a onto a partially frozen Lake Michigan on Chicago's southeast side. First responders told the station that the man was a college student who didn't know he had walked into the lake, then had a hard time making it back to shore. He was spotted by someone in a nearby high-rise who'd called for help. A police helicopter soon comes into frame as unwitting man below tried to find his footing. Underground cops and firefighters set forth to reach the man. One first responder actually fell through the ice but was not harmed. Temperature was actually 12 degrees at the time. Rescue workers made their I know. Rescue workers made their way to the man with the raft and brought him to safety. Uh, police said he was issued an administrative notice of violation for disorderly conduct. Uh, like I said, this happened kind of around the University of Chicago. You know, I was, like I said, I was in Chicago yesterday and I was driving or I was riding up past, you know, Lake Michigan. And part of it looks like it's frozen really well. I mean, there's parts of where you can see the water still or whatever. So I was like, man, you could probably could walk there and, you know, because it just looks like a bunch <laughs> of snow. But I mean... If I'm walking somewhere and I don't know where I am, I'm always using my GPS, and I would know that I'm on Lake Michigan. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're walking. Eventually, you would hear the ice crunching, or something would tell you I'm not on solid ground here. Like something ain't right. <laughs> but, right, and I'm just like he just is so lucky that this person in the high rise saw him because clearly he was having a rough time getting back to shore. So I'm like, yeah. you got lucky. <sighs> <laughs> and it was 12 degrees oh yeah no nah, buddy you got <laughs> you got lucky uh but we'll move from uh from there and we'll go up to new york city where if you're a big fan of rihanna you're probably going to be waiting a very long time for her to release some music because she is now officially pregnant so the singer and fashion mogul rihanna who is 33 is is pregnant and she's expecting her first baby with rapper ASAP Rocky. So the couple was photographed out in New York City over the re- over the weekend where Rihanna debuted her baby bump while wearing a long pink pink jacket. Her oversized outerwear was unbuttoned at the bottom to reveal her growing bump adorned in a gold cross with colorful jewels. And just to give you some background on her and ASAP Rocky, um, a source confirmed to people in November of 2020 that Rihanna and ASAP Rocky were dating after years of friendship. They had sparked some romance rumors during some romance rumors since Rihanna split from her boyfriend of three years. And so Rihanna told British Vogue in March of 2020 that, quote, I know I will want to live differently, she added, saying that within the next 10 years, she sees herself having three or four children, whether she has a partner or not. And so we are now on child number one. And so I was shocked by this. I did not see it coming. Everybody has been wondering when when Rihanna was going to release some new music, but I guess this kind of confirms we're going to have to wait probably a few years now, at least nine months while the baby, <laughs> you know, until the baby comes. But um happy for her and happy for ASAP Rocky. They're starting their family. Um, but some big news there. Rihanna, Rihanna is pregnant. I mean, she can still put out some music. She just needs to make sure she doesn't put out any bad lyrics while the baby's cooking in. Yeah, there you go. Take the Nicki Minaj approach. <laughs> there you go. And one <laughs> and one note to put on here too. This was kind of petty, but people noticed that Drake unfollowed Rihanna and ASAP Rocky after the news came out that Rihanna was pregnant. So, I guess Drake may be the only person on earth who is not happy. That Rihanna is pregnant. So just wanted I mean, to throw that out there. Didn't he? he didn't they, they had a thing at one point, right? I I think so. I don't know if he was waiting. I don't I'm not sure exactly what happened with that, but he's definitely salty that uh you know somebody beat him to it. So <laughs> Hey, I mean it's it's Drake. It's not like he's you know lost for options or something. I mean it's you know, come on, you know, move on to the next Hollywood celebrity or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But speaking of, you know, getting pregnant, you know, this is, I don't know how we line our stories up, uh, listeners, but this, this week ground up is really hitting it. 
Um, Mike and Janine Harvey underwent an insemination pro- uh, procedure in 1991 to fertilize the wife's egg and the husband's sperm, according to a press release from the family's attorneys. Janine eventually became pregnant and gave birth to her baby girl, Jessica. Now the couple and their daughter are suing the doctor for wrongly inseminating the wife with a stranger's sperm. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said, talk about getting pregnant. Uh, leading up to Christmas 2020, Jessica and her husband asked her parents for Ancestry.com kits ahead of a trip to Europe with hopes of tracking down relatives while there. The DNA tests revealed that uh, the, that the father who had raised Jessica was actually not her biological father. Further tests led Jessica to her biological father, who confirmed that he and Jessica's mom were patients at the same fertility doctor as uh, in 91. And this is according to the press release. So the doctor seemed to have screwed some things up, obviously, you know, you know, that's you see some statement. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> I know. I didn't even mean Ooh. that pun. But um, you see all these jokes about you know uh, sperm banks where there's so much sperm, like in the coolers, and like mm-hmm. somebody's gonna get it mixed up, and it happens. <laughs> somebody gets it mixed up. <laughs> wow, that means that's a thirty-year-old mistake. I won't call her a mistake, but that's a thirty-year-old mistake because they're thirty now. <laughs> Yeah. And leave it up to Ancestry.com to reveal know, that. Like, <laughs> they were that just, it makes me want to go try Ancestry because I'm like, they legit work. I mean, it's... they yeah. Yes, they do. My mom has used it recently. She found out who her dad was through Ancestry.com. She took a test. I think I kind of want to take one, too, just to, to see, like, you know, long-lost relatives I'm related to or something. But... That's just wow. I don't like what do you even say after you get those results back? <laughs> like I mean, it's one of those situations where I mean, obviously, you know, Mike is her dad because that's yes. the one she grew up with, but it's just crazy to think yeah. that like all this time, like there's somebody else that actually is my dad, and you know, it's the fault of the doctor. It's I mean it's one of those things where I guess you just, you know, if it wasn't for a world of capitalism and suing, you know, it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal because there wouldn't be a lot of money involved. It'd just be like, you're just mad about it. But because there's a world where you can sue, I don't blame him. I would definitely, I mean, might as oh, well. Yes. It's like you tricked. I mean, he didn't trick us, but that was like, you know, negligence and um, malpractice. Exactly. I mean, yeah, he he deserves to, to pay for that mistake. <laughs> um Wow. <laughs> just makes you a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. So listeners, if you are going to ever get uh, inseminated, make sure it's by the right person. Damn. Take that however you mean it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go to our, our last quick hit here. Not quite to the level of that, but just a funny story out of Florida. Um, there was a recent cold snap where, Temperatures got down into, the, I believe, the 30s, and there were iguanas falling from the trees in Florida after this recent cold snap. So the low temperatures near freezing are quite rare in Florida. And at first glance, the citrus, strawberry, and tomato winter crops suffered no damage. As for the iguanas, that's a different story. They're an invasive species that's well accustomed to the trees of South Florida. But when it gets cold, below 40 degrees Fahrenheit, they go into a sort of suspended animation mode and they fall to the ground. But the good news is they do usually wake up with the sun's warmth. So just, you know, a funny story there. If you do live in Florida, you probably did see or maybe even hear a couple iguanas falling out the trees. And um, I guess they sit there all night on the ground and just, you know, stunned, I guess, until the sun comes up and then they, they warm up and they're back to normal. Yeah, like I said, it's been it's been cold. I mean, we had you know it was like twelve to twenty degrees this past couple of days, and we got about ten inches of snow. I mean, it's 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 been cold. So I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can understand why there's some stuff falling out of trees, but I didn't think Florida was getting it. But I mean, I guess 
um, hey, that's what it's all about. So um, what we're going to do, listeners, we're going to give you another break. Make sure you stick with us. We got to give you a preview into what's upcoming uh, for our schedule. Got to talk about how you can donate to us and all the good stuff. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give a few dollars while you're at it. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, so welcome back. As always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. So first up, you can look forward to hearing me and Adrian discuss Black Relationship Management with our special guest, Miss Angela Horton of Love Sanctuary. Uh, that is going to be coming to you on February uh, 8th. That is, again, a Tuesday, as we always do it. Tuesday, February 8th, we're going to be discussing Black relationship management and, you know, what's the state of the current dating world and how can we start to mend some of these fractured relationships in our community. So make sure you tune in for that Tuesday, February 8th. That's the 8th. That means it's six days before Valentine's Day. So you can get some good tips in here. Maybe you can use that as you try to line up your Valentine's Day plans. So again, Angela Horton from the Love Sanctuary is going to be joining us to talk about Black relationship management. After that, you can look forward to hearing me and Adrian back here again during the weekly roundup. That's going to be weekly roundup number four on Saturday, February 12th, as we bring you more news from the past week. And we may have some some Super Bowl news because that'll be the day before. So make sure you tune in for that. Um, So again, Tuesday, February 8th, Black Relationship Management. Saturday, February 12th, weekly roundup number four. That's our chance to bring you some funny news, some political, business, entertainment. We try to touch all the different areas. So make sure you tune in for that. And before we go, we got some exciting news. Some things are coming together for us. And Adrian is going to let you know how you can help us out here at the Black Agenda. Listeners, you may have missed it if you're just one of our regular weekly roundup uh, listeners and you may not catch our episodes. And if you are one of those people, consider switching and doing both. But we finally launched our patron website. So that way you can actually start giving to us. And that's a really, really exciting thing because when you give to us, you give to something that means something. I mean, the Black Agenda, we're talking about different policy issues that we're going to actually advance in a number of ways. Um, it's not just about educating and communicating, but it's actually about working to mobilize and actually have some change in the community. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to build. And we can't do that without patrons like yourself. So go to the website. It's patron, which is P-A-T-O. R-E-O-N.com slash Black Agenda Pod. And if you didn't catch that, that's okay because you can go to our website, blackagendapod.com, click the donate tab. It's going to take you straight over. Or if you're listening in the app or any sort of platform, actually, when you look at the timestamps, you can just click on donate from there and it's going to take you straight to the website. So all you got to do, go to that website, click it, whatever you do, start giving, sign up. You can do $5, 10 20 whatever. We actually give you stuff as you give to us, shout outs, you get merchandise. So there's some really, really cool things in there. Like I said, go to that website or click on the donate tab and start giving. The other thing we like to mention is a charity of the month. And for the month of February, we chose the Equal Justice Initiative. They're committed to ending mass incarceration and excessive punishment in the United States. They are a 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides legal representation of people who have been illegally convicted, unfairly sentenced, or abused in state jails and prisons. They challenge the death penalty and excessive punishment and even provide reentry assistance to formerly incarcerated people. So worthy endeavor, a worthy cause to talk about during Black History Month. So go check them out and consider giving to them. But make sure if you're going to do that, you've already given to us first. <laughs> that's right i like that last part uh but always before we go make sure you're following us on facebook twitter and instagram at black agenda pod is our handle uh, make sure you're also subscribed to us wherever you listen to your music whether that be spotify apple podcast google podcast our heart radio wherever you listen to your music you can find us the black agenda podcast so make sure you subscribe to us and leave us a review spotify has reviews now so go in there and just tell us how you like the show, what you enjoy about it, 
Also, maybe tell us what you don't enjoy about it, what you think we can do differently. We're always looking for more feedback. And so again, for me and Adrian, we thank you for staying with us and listening. And just to reiterate, Tuesday, February 8th, Black Relationship Management with Angela Horton of Love Sanctuary. And then Saturday, February 12th, that'll be weekly run-up, weekly run-up number four coming to you next Saturday. So until then, we'll catch you next time. Thank you.